Good morning to all of you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to you in the overflow this morning. God bless you guys. First Sunday in the brand new overflow over in the new wing. Uh, we've had technical difficulties. It's worked every Friday, then not worked on Sunday. But today we are up, and, and God bless you guys. We appreciate your worshiping with us. Everybody open your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, uh, and that's where we'll be. Starting a new sermon series this morning entitled Mountain Man. <laughs> now, I, I didn't think about this uh, ahead of time. Uh, and then I said Mountain Man, and, and Matt Betts walked in my office one day and, and found out that my next sermon series was called Mountain Man. So he came in and said, Mountain Man, you're calling your next sermon series Mountain. Y'all know what that is? Yeah. yeah. Duck Dynasty people in the room, any, any, any of you? Yeah. Uh, anybody do a pretty good impression of a Mountain Man? Okay, let me hear it. Go ahead, get it out of your system now. Okay, Eric DeVries, get it out of your system right now, man, just right now, out of your system. Uh, mountain man is Moses. We're going to talk about the life of Moses for just a few Sundays. It's an amazing life. Moses is truly one of the most uh, thrilling and miraculous men that have ever walked the face of the earth. Whether you're new to the Bible or maybe you know a little bit about the Bible, you've probably heard of Moses, uh, born a slave. From the very uh, moment he was born, there were those who wanted to kill him, and yet he became truly one of the greatest minds, greatest lawgivers, greatest deliverers, uh, greatest men uh, of all time. Uh, let's learn some lessons from his life by opening up the Bible. Like all of us, uh, Moses is part of a larger story. Uh, and his story doesn't even begin with him, it begins with others. So I want to take you back a little bit to connect some dots so that you can really begin to understand what God did in, in raising up Moses. Now you've read perhaps the book of Genesis, you think that Genesis is all about creation, and it is. But then from there, Genesis is a long book, the first book of the Bible, and it goes right into the story of God's people. And at the end of the book of Genesis, God's people are where? Okay, maybe we should turn to Genesis. Uh, yeah. They're in Egypt. Why are they in Egypt? Yeah, they're slaves because of the story of Joseph. So sometime if you haven't, read that story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. It leads us right up to the book of Exodus where all of God's people are now in Egypt. Now, they're not slaves when Joseph is there. Joseph is the second in command in Egypt, a very high official. He went from slavery through prison to, to second in command in, in Egypt. And he brought his whole family there for what reason? Because there was a famine, that's right, and there was food in Egypt. So all of the sons of Jacob, they came to Egypt because that's where the food was, but they stayed there. They stayed there, and this is where the book of Exodus picks up. I want to start right in chapter 1, verse 1, and read right on through uh, to the Moses, uh, Moses' birth. But start with me, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, as we begin. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt. Okay, we started out with how many? 70, okay. In all, he had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died ending that entire generation, but their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new pharaoh came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. 
He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the Pharaoh. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. It's my favorite Bible name of all time right there, Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives, say the words, feared God. Because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. (laughs) So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you may let the girls live. Okay, what's the command now? Not just midwives, but everybody. What are you going to do with Hebrew boys? Throw them in the river. All right. Chapter 2. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby, kept him hidden for three months, but when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch and put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. So technically, did she do what she was supposed to do? Technically, put him in the river. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Awesome. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. The woman took her baby home and nursed him. I love that. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. The name Moses means pulled out of the water. They say, I don't want to start anything, 
they say behind every great man is a great woman. Yeah, behind every... There are several variations of that saying, though. Some say behind every great man is a woman surprised. Yeah. Or behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. <laughs> That's my house. Yeah. Yeah. Rolling her eyes. Story told, for what it's worth, uh, President Obama and Michelle sort of broke uh, their normal routine and decided to go out for dinner with the Secret Service, of course. Uh, they went to a very low-key, not very luxurious restaurant, just, just a place to go. Uh, but when they walked in, it was obvious that Michelle knew the owner, that he, he came rushing over. Secret Service let him approach Michelle, and they began to talk, and she was calling him by name, and they hugged, and they laughed, and they were talking about old times, and it was obvious she knew him. And so when they sat at the table, President Obama, Barack said, Michelle, what was that about? Who was that? And she said, well, it turns out the owner of the restaurant is the man I went to college with. We actually dated. And she kind of laughed <laughs> like that, you know. President Obama said, well, Michelle, if you'd married him, then you would be the wife of an owner of a restaurant. She said, no, Barack, if I married him, he would be president. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. We don't always know who's behind who, you understand? And especially when it comes to our lives, when it comes especially to the way God works in our lives. We have a tendency as human beings to think we understand who's important. We have a tendency to think we know whose story this is. And, and many of us, for the most part, feel like behind-the-scenes characters in other people's stories. We just assume somehow that God is doing his work through other people, through important people, from the people who seem to have the spotlight in life, the people at center stage. And most of us never, ever feel like those people. We don't feel like the light is on us. We don't feel like God is using us. We just feel ordinary, plain as cornbread every day of our lives. And we can't imagine that our lives matter or, or that our stories matter. But this is one of the amazing parts about the story of Moses. In other words, to tell the story of Moses, you can't start with Moses. And let that be a lesson to you right there. In other words, Moses doesn't create himself. He doesn't even create God, for that matter. Moses steps into a story that's already in motion. And you can't begin the story of Moses with Moses. You have to go back a little bit further. You have to at least go back as far as these Hebrew midwives who were given names in Scripture, which I love. Their names are Shiphrah and, go ahead and say it because you want to, Puah. Yeah. Shiphrah and Puah. Now remember, these women are slaves too. They're slaves too. And as midwives, most likely they are infertile women. They're not able to have children, so this is their job. They have to help everybody else have their kids. Shifra and Pua are given instructions from Pharaoh to watch very carefully when babies are born. And in this moment, the very moment that a baby crowns, when he comes out, if it's a boy, kill him. Kill him. Now, Pharaoh's plan, of course, is to decimate the Hebrew people. He wants to destroy, to weaken, to, to, to somehow take all the strength out of these people that are multiplying and growing so rapidly. And so his plan is just simply to kill all the males, all the male babies, kill them on the spot. And who better to do that than the Hebrew midwives? They're there when every baby is born. 
So if the baby is a boy, kill him. Kill him. Now, remember, Shifra and Pua, these are ordinary women. They're slave women. There's not a lot they can do, and their stories don't necessarily seem like important stories, except right here, understand, right here, the entire course of history has changed. Do you see that? Now, Moses is important, and we're going to talk about Moses for a long, long time, but please understand that the story of Moses really starts right here with these two very, very ordinary women who, for the most part, are very powerless in the world. They're slaves. They don't have a lot of control over anything, but there's one little detail that's actually mentioned twice about these women, and the story says, the scripture says that Shifra and Pua fear God. They fear God. Never underestimate the power of a woman or a man who fears God. You understand? Fearing God is the most important thing ever to be said about a person. And if it's true of you, then understand the the possibilities for your life become endless when you fear God. They fear God more than Pharaoh. They fear God more than anything else. And so they are not going to do what Pharaoh says do. Now, we can argue about whether or not it's right to disobey the government, whether or not it's, it's right. I would argue they do exactly what they should be doing. They do not obey men when they should obey God. You understand? They do not break God's laws in order to obey Pharaoh's laws. And so they just have a tendency that when the beeper goes off and they understand that a Hebrew woman's having a baby, they just drive real slow. They just drive real slow. And by the time they get there, you understand, that those, those Hebrew women, they just pop them out. We don't ever get there in time for the Hebrew women. And so they continue to have their babies. They continue to have their babies. And there was one woman who had her baby. Elsewhere, we're told her name is Jacobin. Jacobin has a baby. She sees that it's a boy. And notice what the scripture says there. The woman came pregnant, gave birth to a son. Verse 2, she saw that he was a special baby. (laughs) The Hebrew word there is is tov. It means beautiful. She sees that her baby's beautiful. She protects it. Again, just understand the amazing way that God weaves our lives together with people we don't know. Seems like Moses' story is going to be the story that really matters, but honestly, it's story of these women, these, these Hebrew midwives, their stories really matter. And, and it turns out the story of Jacobed, Moses' mother, really matters. And she too is a slave woman and, and, and a very powerless woman in just unthinkable circumstances. Can you even imagine? I mean, there's incredible joy when you have a baby and you see your beautiful baby born, but then just to know that everything in your world is going to be coming up against the life of your baby boy. And what can one woman do? I mean, seriously, what can she do to save this baby? Let's talk a little bit about what it is to be a parent for a second. Um, The baby's born, verse 2. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. Again, the word there is beautiful. The, the, the word tov there actually means pleasing to all the senses. <laughs> okay, have y'all ever been around a baby? <laughs> pleasing to all the senses. Now, some babies, not all babies, but, but some babies are cute. Not all, not a lot, really. I mean, have y'all really looked at them? Um, 
anyway, pleasing to the eyes, pleasing to, to, to taste. I mean, you ever kissed a baby? How'd it taste? Uh, and then pleasing to the nose? Seriously? I've heard people say, I just love the smell of a newborn baby. Are you kidding? Walk down to the nursery right now and take a whiff. <laughs> Man, it, it, isn't it funny? How somehow there's something about parents, something about moms maybe in particular. Man, we just love our babies. And when that baby is born immediately, that baby has this woman wrapped around its little finger. Have you been there? And immediately she recognizes that he's beautiful, that that he's special. And I don't know what Jacobed knows. Truly, this is a special boy. Truly, he is. God is going to use him to do something that nobody can even ask for or imagine at this point. I mean, this baby boy, I mean, everything seems pitted against him, but he is going to be an amazing boy. But does Jacobed really know that? I mean, does God reveal something special to her? Or is she just like all mothers? I mean, just looking at her baby, thinking this is the most beautiful baby that's ever been born. And she loves this baby. She loves this baby in the sight of him, just loves him with her whole heart. The, the, the problem is the world is not going to love her baby like she does. Now, she may see this baby as the most beautiful baby in all the world, but Pharaoh doesn't see him that way. Do you, do you understand? And this is one of the important lessons we have to learn as moms and dads. We have to remember that the rest of the world is never going to love our children like we do. They're never going to love them the way that you do. The rest of the world will never think that your children are as cute as you think. The rest of the world is never going to want to just give your children things the way you want to give your children things. It's a very, very important lesson to learn. And you can learn it here by watching Jacobed. She knows that her baby is special. She knows that he's beautiful. And to her, there is no more important baby in all the world. And so the scripture says she has him and she takes him home and she treasures him. She protects him. She keeps him like a treasure is what the Hebrew word says there just treasures this baby and protects him and keeps him at home. This is her plan at first. I'll just protect him. I will give him everything. I will hide him. I will value him. I'll keep him at home like a treasure. That works for a little while. You understand? While Moses is a baby, that works for, for actually just about 12 weeks. You understand? There are so many little lessons here, and I just don't want you to miss them. One day a woman called me, she's out of state, you don't know her, you don't know her son, but I knew her. And uh, her son was an adult man, um, never really held a job for long, gambler, uh, would blow all the money that he ever had, and he did. He gambled and he drank, he was an alcoholic. And, and, and I have a lot of compassion for this man, don't get me wrong, but, but he was a very, very troubled man. His mother called me one day, and she loved him more than anything, and she just wanted to talk because she knew I was a pastor. And she said, Pastor Tim, my son went down, he was looking for a job, and I've been praying that he would get a job, and, and a job opened up at a local church. And I said, son, you need to go down there and apply for that job. So my son, the alcoholic, the gambler, my son went down to that church and applied for that church, and they didn't hire him. What kind of a church would turn him down? I'm thinking a smart one. 
I mean, just a smart one. I mean, I don't really understand what made her think that that church is just going to give this man a, a ministry position. You understand? But in her mind, in her mind, her son was suited for everything and anything. I mean, there was nobody in the world like her boy. Do you understand how in our desire to love our children and in our desire to bless our children and in our desire to do everything for them and give everything to them and protect them, do you understand how we can actually ruin their lives? Do you understand that? We can ruin their lives. The, the fact is the rest of the world is not going to love your children like you love their children. As a matter of fact, the world is not even going to be kind to your children. Now, it is wonderful the way we as parents love to show our, our children this unconditional love. That's beautiful. But the rest of the world will not love them unconditionally. And we have to teach our children how to grow up. And we have to give our children strength. And you don't strengthen them by pampering them. We have to teach our children how to love as adults. That means not just let other people love them, but they have to learn how to be grown up in a relationship and love people back, how to respect people. They have to learn how to work. In order for a child to become adult, he or she has to learn how to work. And if you give everything to your children, they expect somehow that everything will always be given to them. That's not how the world works. It's wonderful the way we love our children. They are beautiful in our eyes, but they won't be beautiful in the eyes of the world. So Jacobet does an amazing thing. And honestly, it's a very important principle for all of us as parents. Notice what the scripture says. When she could no longer hide him, she could no longer protect him, she could no longer keep him at home like a treasure, like a little baby doll, do you understand? When she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch and put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Understand? She had to release that baby to God. It's a very scary thing to do, but she just releases this baby to God. Puts him in the river, the Nile River. Do you understand? This isn't like Drake's Creek. It's the Nile River, alligators. She puts him in the Nile River, lets him go. Do you understand? If she had tried to keep him forever, she would have lost him. If she had tried to protect him herself, he would have been destroyed. The key to Moses' life, the real key to his starting point is the way his mother, somehow in the strength God gives her, in the wisdom God gives her, she does a rather amazing thing. She releases him to God. She just gives that boy back to God. And in, in the result of giving him to God, what happens? She actually gets him back. She actually gets him back. It's the Spiritual principle that, that Jesus talks about in nearly every place. Anything that you try to keep for yourself, you're going to lose. Anything that you try to protect for yourself, you're going to lose. Whoever tries to keep their own life, Jesus says, they're going to lose it. But you have to lose your life for my sake and then you find it. It's the basic scriptural principle. That the things you try to keep for yourself, you will inevitably end up losing. But the things that you give to God, those are the things that you end up having for eternity. 
So Jacobet does this most amazing thing. She just simply gives her child, gives her baby boy back to God. She just gives him to God. Mama, you got to do that. Daddy, you've got to do that. This child feels so much like your own, but, but honestly, it's not really your own. This child was made by God with a plan and a purpose. I know that you see your daughter as just a princess, as a beautiful princess, but I'm telling you, the rest of the world is not going to see her that way. You've got to somehow speak into her life. You've got to somehow work in her life in such a way where she becomes a strong woman of God. If you try to keep her for yourself, if you try to always keep her under your arm, if you try to do everything for her, she'll never learn how to trust God. You understand? You keep that boy at home, you do everything for him, you baby him, and I'm telling you, he'll never grow up to be a strong man of God. You've got to learn how to give him to God. Let them go, let them grow. Jacobed releases her baby to God, and that's when she gets him back. That's how life works. But back to Jacobed. She saw that he was a special baby boy. She kept him hidden for three months when she could no longer hide him. She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch and put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. As I said, this is a slave woman. This is a woman with nothing. Poverty, you understand? She's a slave laborer in in, in the land of Egypt. She is powerless. There is not a thing she can do to change the government of Egypt. You understand that? There There is not an election coming up. There's not a thing she can do. She cannot change her circumstances. She's not going to change the law that says her baby should die. Nothing's going to change. She's not going to be able to get on the next bus and maybe move to another place. None of these are options for her. She can't change her circumstances. She cannot go to Pharaoh. She cannot do anything. You understand? Her options are very, very, very limited. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever been in the place in your life when it just seems like there's nothing at all that you can do? I've been there, and I know you well enough as your pastor. Many of you live in that kind of place. It just seems like there's nothing you can do. It seems like everything in the world is somehow stacked against you. You cannot change your circumstances, and your circumstances are miserable. And it doesn't really seem that things are going to get any better. What do you do in life when when there are so few things that you can do? You understand? What do you do when there's so many things that you can't do? What in the world are we supposed to do? How do we live our lives when our power is so limited? Very basically, learn the lesson from Jacob. You stop thinking about what you can't do, and you just do what you can That sound too simple? You just stop thinking about what you can't do. She can't go to Pharaoh. She can't change the law. She can't change her circumstances. She can't change anything, and she can't protect this baby. So what can she do? Well, she can make a basket. You understand? She can make a basket. And so she makes a basket. She makes a basket, puts her baby in the basket, and and turns it loose. 
To make a basket is the most ordinary thing in the world. You understand that? Every woman in the country could make a basket and half the men. Understand? Anybody in the world could do that. That, that. that is just the plainest thing. It doesn't take any great spiritual wisdom or power to make a basket. All it takes is some dried grass, some pitch, apparently in this basket. No great skill. She didn't even have to Google it. She didn't have to watch a YouTube video to do this. This is just the plainest thing, the most ordinary thing in the world for her to do. And yet she just does that. She does the plain, ordinary thing that she can do. And that ordinary thing, you understand, she does that ordinary thing and God makes that extraordinary. See, I really don't know how sometimes we get so caught up in our lives because we, we seem to think that we should be doing something out of the ordinary. We seem to think that if God were to call us to do something that might be important in the world, that, that a light would shine on us while we would do it, or that somehow there'd be a drum roll, or, or, or our fingers would tingle, and we would start doing something miraculous. But don't you understand, this basket is miraculous. She just can't see that. This very basket is going to change the course of the, of the world forever, but she doesn't know that. It's just all she knows how to do is, is to make the basket. And this is what I'm telling you. In your life right now, you've got to stop thinking about what you can't do. You've got to stop thinking about what you can't control. You've got to stop thinking about the choices that aren't yours to make. you understand? You'll be paralyzed for your whole life if you continue to focus on what you can't do. You continue to tell yourself that you're small and powerless and helpless and pitiful. Do you understand? As long as you focus on what you can't do, you will be powerless and pitiful and helpless. But God knows what he's put in you, and God knows what you're capable of, and God knows where you are, and God knows what time it is. So wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, you just do what you can do. You just do what you can do, and let God use that. At some point she realized can't keep him I can't keep him I wonder how long she thought about it I wonder what her other plans were but somehow this becomes her plan just to make a basket and put her baby in the basket and release it into the Nile you know the story the princess of Egypt finds the baby, takes him out of the water and falls in love with him at the sight. She decides to make that baby her baby. She needs somebody who will be a wet nurse. <laughs> Moses' mama becomes the nurse. And with that, Moses' whole story begins. It's amazing what God can do with people who don't normally get their stories told you know what I mean it's amazing what God can do with uh, ordinary people who do ordinary kinds of things y'all know the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000 you ever thought about that one 5,000 people out there what are the disciples doing they're thinking about what they can't do and what can they not do feed 5,000 people yeah you and I can't either I mean you just can't I mean how do you do that in the middle of the wilderness, 5,000 men with their families, I'm, I'm going to thousands and thousands of people, and the disciples know what they can't do. They, they can't. 
One of the men says, you know, all we have are, is a lunch of a little boy. It's like uh, you know, five little biscuits and some salted fish. It's, 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 a, it's a lunch for a little boy, understand? And they say, how, how far could that go with so many people? And Jesus says, just bring it to me. So that little boy's lunch comes to the hands of Jesus, and Jesus blesses it, breaks it. And everybody eats until they're full. And there are 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers. There's more left over at the end than they started with in the beginning. But what did they start with at the beginning? You remember? A, a, a little boy's lunch. Five little biscuits and, and some salted fish. Well, who packed the lunch? Probably his mother. Understand? Do you ever just think that? You ever just kind of take it all the way back? Man, I'm telling you, that, that morning that mama got up early, you know, and, and Good Morning America's on, and, and kids are going crazy, and, and she somehow takes time, and, and she makes that lunch. Did she have any idea who'd be eating that lunch? Any idea in whose hands that lunch would fall? Any idea who would bless that lunch and feed the multitude? It would have been really something to be there to watch Jesus feed the 5,000. It would have been something to be one of the disciples to get to serve that meal. But, you know, there's something in me that says, you know what? How wonderful to be uh, the mama that packed that lunch. You see, you just can't focus on what you can't do. You've got to stop thinking about what you can't change and how helpless and pitiful and hopeless your life seems. You just don't know yet. You just don't know yet what God's going to do. So you just do what you can. You just always do whatever you can. And it's going to seem small and it's going to seem plain. And nobody may ever tell the story of your life and nobody ever may come back and thank you, but understand... God has always, always changed the world with the very small, ordinary acts of ordinary people who never even knew what God was going to do. You don't know what God is going to do yet, but he's going to do something. It is going to be glorious, and you are a part of it. Whatever your part is, small as it may seem to you, you just play your part well. You don't ever know what God's going to do. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, some of us today feel so overwhelmed with life. God, our circumstances have gotten way out of control, and it seems like everything in the world is just lined up against us. Lord Jesus, we become paralyzed knowing that we can't change this, knowing that things could be this hard for a long time, Lord, simply knowing that, that, that the most we can do seems like nothing compared to what all that needs to be done. Lord Jesus, just come to us today and comfort us and remind us what a big God you are. 
Remind us, Lord, that this is not our story. It's your story. We're small characters in your great story. And, Lord, you're going to move this whole thing in the direction that you want and the end that you already see. So, God, help us simply to find peace and comfort in trusting you. Lord Jesus, we'd like to think we can do it all. We'd like to think, Lord, that somehow the power is ours, but it's not. So, Lord, help us to rest knowing, Lord, that all we can do is what we can do. We have to leave everything else to you. So, Lord, show us today how to be faithful. Show us, Lord, the baskets in our lives that we need to make. It seems small and it seems quiet and it seems like nobody will ever know, Lord, but, but you know. Lord, very truly, we never know how things will turn out. We never know how you're at work in the middle of our circumstances, Lord. We just know that you are. So, Lord, today, just help us to surrender to you. Help us, Lord, to stop trying to fight, to stop trying to run, to stop trying to take control. Just help us to surrender everything to you, our children, our time, our days, our nights, our our gifts, everything that we can do, Lord. Let us just surrender it to you. Lord, what we can do is always small. What you can do is always great. So, Lord, give us the confidence in knowing that you're going to work in what we do for you. Help us, Lord, to rest today, to trust you, to do what we can in full surrender to you. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen.